James chapter 5. Are you there yet? James chapter 5 in your Bibles. And then we're going to look at the first six verses. If you'd like to stand, you sure can. Uh, if, if, you, if, you wouldn't, if you'd rather be seated, that's great as well. And I'm going to read the scripture. We're going to pray and we'll get started. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which are kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Father, we, uh, we come to you this morning asking for help, God, in understanding your word. God, this is a hard passage. Uh, it's a difficult passage for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give understanding. We pray that you would give us wisdom into our own hearts, God, that we might store up the right kind of treasure for life. Father, we, uh, we love you. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you for the gospel. Lord, make it clear today in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so one of the questions you might be asking yourself is, who is he talking about, right? Like, we sure don't want to be this, folks, and, and who's he talking about? And here's my experience with people. It doesn't matter who you talk to, how much money they have, how many possessions they have. Nobody actually thinks they're the rich. Have you noticed that? Like, like the rich are always the people that are what? Richer than us, right? Like that, that, that's normally how we would describe the rich. And so one of the things that we don't want to happen in this text is for us all just to say, well, hey, this is about somebody else. Uh, I don't need to listen to this, okay? I don't need to read this. This isn't for me. So I, I think the danger of that is that the Bible talks a lot about the condition of our heart. Can I give you some t- t- statistics that, that might kind of bring things to light, okay? So you might be in here and you might be saying, well, hey, that's not me because it's talking about people that have fields and laborers and they're paying wages and I don't have any of that. So obviously it's not me. Or maybe you're here today saying, well, hey, you know, I'm not in the top 1% of our community and wage earners, so this is surely not me. But let me, let me give you some statistics that might be interesting to you throughout the world. So according to the internet, the median household income, okay, so that's husband and wife, a household, medium household income in the United States of America, right here where we live, great country, is $63,000, okay? That's the medium household income. The median household income worldwide, okay? So if you take everybody in the world, globally, the median household income is $9,733, okay? Now, another interesting statistic. Our government, the U.S. government, It says that it it classifies, anyway, I don't know how they came about this, but it classifies the poverty line for a family of four, okay? So family of four, household of four, it classifies the poverty line to be at $25,100 annually, okay? Now, if you're running those numbers in your head, isn't it interesting that the people that the United States classifies to be poor make three times the median income of the rest of the world, okay? Or globally what the average of the rest of the world is, okay? So what, why am I telling you all that? I'm telling you all that because I think as Americans, we probably have an especial interest in listening up. I, I looked at a graph at uh, the, the world's richest 1% 
Don't worry, you're not in it, okay? Uh, it's the world's richest 1%. They're the richest 1% of people in the globe. The, the graph had these little people that represented a million people, and it had each country they're from. Right off the bat, there was 29 of those little people, okay? 29 million Americans, okay? They were blue. They were Americans. 29 million Americans are in the top 1% of wealth in the world, okay? The next country was Germany, and there was four of them, okay? So 4 million Germans are in the 1% wealthiest people in the nation. And then the rest of it was just various countries that had two or three little people, and then finally there was like two people that represented like 10 countries of the top 1% wealthiest people in the world. So that tells you a little bit about America, right? We have 29 millions of those. Would you believe this? Uh, this is a statistic that we've looked at when we look at our India ministry. 986 million people globally live on less than $1 a day. Less than $1 a day. Okay, now, so that doesn't, that, those aren't from the Bible. Those are from the internet, okay? Those are from the internet. But doesn't that help you a little bit when you come back to this passage and it says, come now you rich, okay? So that helps me a little bit to get a little perspective even on my, myself, okay? Now, what, what is this passage doing? Well, I look at it as it's one of those uh, flashing lights, you know, one of those warning lights, one of those check engine lights that basically says, be careful of wealth, okay? Be careful of the danger that wealth can present in your life, all right? Now, 1 Timothy chapter 6, if I can take you there for a second, we're going to be here twice during the message, all right? So it's an important passage for us today. But it says this, 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare. That's a trap. Into, a, into a many, many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For through the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. Man, did you hear what, what Paul tells Timothy there? He tells Timothy that loving money can actually lead you to all kinds of desires that can harm your life. All kinds of desires that can actually mess you up on the inside, mess you up spiritually, and even mess you up eternally. It says, many have wandered away from the faith because of their love for money. See, the Bible is clear that money is a really easy God. It can become a God in our life. Covetousness is idolatry. Having money is hard to handle, and it's all tied to the condition of our hearts. Jesus is the one that said that, by the way. In Matthew chapter 6, when he talks about money, he tells us not to lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. And actually, I think James was quoting Jesus in the passage that we're reading, right? Sounds a lot like, like what, what James said. He, he said, uh, don't do that because he said in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay? So in other words, there's a connection between what you treasure and the the, the condition or the, the status of your heart. Later on in that same passage, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay? So there's a little kind of biblical, cultural picture of money. Now, what is James saying? Well, James starts out by saying, weep and howl, okay, you rich, because of the miseries that are coming upon you. One of the things I was interested in today 
Uh, so far, it hadn't happened. It didn't happen in the 830 service. It didn't happen in the 945 service. I wondered if anybody would actually obey that and howl. I, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody howl, you know? Uh, yeah, I don't know. If it, you know, those two words mean uh, to cry out, like, like in agony, like, oh, oh, no, oh, no. That, that's really what those mean. And it's interesting that James says you should cry out because of the miseries that are coming. Isn't that funny? Because we don't look at money that way, right? We look at, man, if you got money, you're going to be happy, right? That's, that's what we think. We think money leads to happiness. Money solves all our problems. Money is what we need. But James says, hey, you're rich. You, you need to weep and howl because of the miseries that are coming if you don't handle that in your heart rightly. Now, is money bad? No, it's not bad. Man, didn't we all just celebrate $351,000 pushing the gospel to the ends of the earth from our church? Man, we celebrate that. We love that. You know, not, not only that, but what about the ministry right here in Woodward, Oklahoma that happens every day? What about the $24,000 that we spent last year helping people with utility bills and rent and things like that? Or how about the over $50,000 that this church spent last year with the homeless and with, with, uh, with, with our, our shelter that we've begun to run? So, man, all of those are things to be applauded. All those are examples of money used in really strategic and good ways for the good of the gospel, right? So is money bad? Absolutely not, except for what it can potentially do in your heart. Now, one of the questions we need to ask is, is this even talking about believers, okay? As you read this, doesn't it have kind of a judgment kind of a, a theme to it? You know, he says you fattened your heart in the day of slaughter. And, and so, so we might think, well, man, this doesn't even sound like it's written to believers. Because you know what we know about believers? What we know about believers is if you have repented of your sins and if you have been joined to Jesus Christ by faith, you know what Romans 8, 8 1 says? There is no condemnation for you. Isn't that great? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So in other words, the Bible tells us that God will not condemn those who are joined to Jesus Christ. And so, so we might think, well, man, this doesn't look like it's for believers. But yet, I actually think James is written in a way that it's for everyone. You know, whenever you read your wisdom literature in the Old Testament, you know what that is? It's like Psalms and Proverbs, particularly Proverbs. Proverbs is written to people in general. It's like general truths about life. And I actually think that's the, that's the way that James is writing this today, is it's written to everyone. But, but even, I, I think believers especially, should, should listen up here. In James 1, he talks about he's writing to brothers. He even talks about the rich and the poor in James 1, the rich brother and the poor brother. And so I would believe that this is a warning. This whole sermon is a warning uh, to us about the dangers of money. And again, guys, if you're wanting to slip out from underneath this, it's easy to do, isn't it? All you got to say is, hey, the rich are Bill Gates and uh, Steve Jobs, and, and I'm not one of them, right? All, all you got to do is, when, when you hear that, you know, woe to you who live in luxury, all you got to say is, hey, the, the Kardashians are luxury, right? And I'm not living like they are. It's easy to slip out from underneath. I don't think that's good for your soul. Here, here's how I take James 5. I take James 5 as a word for me, for my own joy. I take these exhortations about money as, as an exhortation to Jason Dirks to be really careful about my heart and, and really intentional about how I spend money for the glory of God, all right? I think we need to examine our hearts as we look at this passage, all right? So a couple of big principles, all right? So that's kind of just setting us up to, to look at it. Now, what does James say about money, okay? 
First thing he says is, he warns us that we don't want to get to the end of our life and realize we stored up the wrong thing. Don't, don't store up the wrong treasure, okay? Notice in verse 3, he says, I'm going to start in verse 2, actually. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure. You've stored up treasure in the last days, all right? So the picture is here of, of James that he creates is one who, somebody's lived their life, and what have they done? They've accumulated a bunch of stuff. They, they got a bunch of clothes, and, and they're getting eaten by moths. They've got a bunch of gold and silver, and it's corroding. They've got a bunch of things, and it's all deteriorating, okay? James is describing somebody who has lived their life for the wrong thing. They've lived their life and stored up the wrong stuff. Imagine this. An almighty, gracious God of the universe gives you 80 years of your life, 80 years of breath. What do you got to show for that? You see, James is saying if, if all you've got to show for that is moth-eaten suits and a garage full of rusting vehicles and a house that's being devoured by termites, man, you've blown it. You've missed it. Don't spend your life for the accumulation of worldly things. You, you know one of the big, big truths about money in the Bible? It will always disappoint, okay? It will inevitably disappoint you, okay? You're saying, well, not today. Okay, maybe not today. But at some point in your life, and at some point for sure in eternity, money will always be what my dad described as the big D, okay? The big disappointment. To, to have decaying possessions as the evidence of what you spent your life on is a wasted life. All that stuff represents time and money and effort. Have you ever thought about that? Everything that you own it actually represents your life. It represents your time and your effort and, and, and what you've spent your, your life on. And, and James says here at the end of verse 3, he says, you've stored, up, you've stored up treasure in the last days. Isn't that a key word? In the last days. Okay, you remember last week? Last week, James talked to us at the end of chapter 4 about how your life's a vapor, right? How your life is a mist. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. How, how, how you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And, and, and how even in 2 Peter 3, the Bible tells us that actually we do know that Christ is coming back. And when he does come back, all the possessions of the world, the whole world will be burned up and dissolved and pass away with a roar. That's, that's what Peter says. The Bible tells us that your land and your business and your money and your classic cars and your gun collection and your new home, it's all actually kindling and none of it will last. None of it will endure. You might get to keep it for a little while. But actually, have you ever thought about this? I, I don't think it will satisfy you for very long. How, how, how long does anybody get to have and be satisfied by their wealth? Well, maybe if you were a real go-getter in life, and you graduated from high school, and bam, maybe you were even in high school, you were already getting after it, and you graduated, and you, you stored up a bunch of stuff in your 20s. Woo, how about that, right? How long do you get to enjoy that stuff? Well, here, here's what I would say. I would say at the very top end, I would say 50 years. There's a few people that enjoy their stuff for 50 years. You're saying, well, Pastor, I know a lot of people lived in their 90s, into their hundreds. Did you pay attention to them? They were not enjoying their stuff. Have you, have you ever realized that? If you've been around people at the end of their life, you, you know Nobody's, nobody's really enjoying their stuff at the end of life, right? 
So at, at, the, at the very top end, so, so best case scenario, if you make your money early and then and you get a bunch of stuff, and I actually think you probably won't enjoy most of it very long, but maybe, maybe 50 years, right? But probably more likely, maybe 30, maybe 20, maybe 15, maybe five, maybe a year, maybe three months. If we believe what James told us yesterday, that your life is a vapor, maybe all you have is tomorrow, okay? But here's for sure. The Bible says it's soon gone, right? And so James is condemning people that live their life to accumulate stuff that ultimately will disappoint and will just be evidence against them in the judgment that they wasted their life. So what, do we, what should we do instead with the money that God's given us? Well, go back to 1 Corinthians 6, or 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, okay? Go back there. And at the end of 1 Timothy 6, there's a great passage on riches, Okay? Uh, begins in verse 17. It says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. So first of all, man, if you've got money, don't be prideful, okay? Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Notice the next verse. They are to do good and be rich in good works. All right, so you, you should want to be rich in something. You should want to be rich in good works. You should want to accumulate for yourself good works. I did a funeral yesterday. Many, many of you were here. Uh, church was full. It was a funeral for our dear sister, Betty Simmel. Um, Betty, uh, Betty served in our teen kid uh, supper ministry and our kitchen ministry for 20 years or so. Just a sweet saint. I, I said this in the sermon. I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody die so beautifully as Betty died. Um, just with praise in her heart. With every time she would come to a wakefulness, it was prayer, it was praising Jesus, it was celebrating what Christ had done, it was expressing love to her family and friends. I mean, I mean, she she died beautifully. All right, but here's the deal about Betty. I, I don't know that she treasured up a lot of material possessions, but I do know, and it was testified yesterday, she treasured up good works. All right, that, that's that's what the Bible's saying here. It says they're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And then I love this, verse 19, 1 Timothy 6, 19. The storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The Bible says you ought to store up Treasure for the future, for yourself. You, you ought to want to accumulate and store up treasure for yourself, that which is truly life. Not possessions, but good works, good deeds, a life of investing in other people, right? Now, what's that going to look like? Well, man, that's a big question, right? Um, I, I was tempted to just walk you through this and say, hey, there's a whole bunch of people in this church that, that real invested in, in the kingdom, uh, gospel advancement to the world. I could pull out our labors of love statistics and say, hey, look at these people or, or our team kid ministry. Or, but you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather just look in the scriptures and let's point out some folks that had money and used it really well. How about that, okay? First one I'd like to offer to you is Matthew, okay? Matthew uh, was one of the disciples. And if you know his story, he was a tax collector, and he had a lucrative government contact, uh, contract from, from, from Rome, and he was collecting taxes. And Jesus walked by his tax booth, and he said, you, come follow me. And you know the story. It, it amazes me. He got up and followed Jesus. He left his government contract, his, his wealthy income, 
And he actually followed Jesus. And I don't know what he did with his money, except I know one thing. The Bible tells us that immediately he threw a huge barbecue, all right? He threw a huge barbecue, and he invited all of his tax collector friends. Remember, remember this? It's in the Scripture. Threw a huge party, invited all his tax collector friends, and introduced them to Jesus. So I see a guy in the, in the Gospels who is willing to leave it all, and who is willing to use what he had left to introduce people to Jesus. How about this guy? How about the Good Samaritan? Remember that in Luke 10? You know, here's a guy who uh, is coming along the road and he finds a guy that's in the ditch. He's been beaten and bloodied and, and taken advantage of and robbed. And, and there he is in the ditch. And the Bible says he, he pulls over and, and gives the guy first aid and bandages up his wounds and puts him on the top of his donkey and takes him into town and checks him into a motel and pays for the motel and goes and finds a doctor and pays for the doctor and brings the doctor over and prays, pays for that guy's health care until he gets better. That was a guy who had money, who used it really well. How about these folks? I like to call them the rich roadies, okay? Uh, you, that may be silly. You don't have to call them that, but I don't know what else to call them. But in, in Luke 8, 2, it says, And some women who'd been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's household manager, she was probably a wealthy lady, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them, the disciples, out of their means. You, you got a group of ladies there. The Bible just mentions them. And they, they were people of means. They had, they had means. They had money. And they traveled with Jesus. And they, they supplied for the ministry, the gospel ministry of Jesus' earthly life. How about a guy named Zacchaeus? You remember that guy? Uh, he, too, was a tax collector. Man, that's a common theme in the Bible. Nobody liked him. Jesus went after him, right? Uh, tax collector. He was a wealthy guy. Jesus comes to his house. Zacchaeus hears the gospel. He hears the gospel, the invitation of Jesus to come and follow him. And it says that Zacchaeus told Jesus, if I have cheated anybody, defrauded anybody, taken what, what, what I shouldn't have taken, I'm going to pay it all back. And then what I have left over, I'm giving half of it to the poor. Here's a really wealthy guy who's making a big kingdom impact with his money. How about Joseph of Arimathea? In Luke 23, it tells us he was a rich man. In fact, the Old Testament prophesied that there would, Jesus would be laid in the tomb of a rich man. And it was Joseph. Joseph had money, he had, he had land, he had a tomb, and he gave it to Jesus in his death. How about a guy named uh, Barnabas? How about Barnabas? In Acts chapter 4, there's a, a big famine in, in Jerusalem, and, and many of the Christians are, are oppressed and starving. And so what does Barnabas do? He goes out and sells a piece of land, which was a big deal in that day. He sells a piece of land, and he takes the money, and he lays it at the apostles' feet and says, Hey, I want you to take care of needy people with this money. How about Lydia? Remember Lydia in Acts chapter uh, 16? Lydia came to know Christ. She was a merchant. She was a traveling businesswoman. She comes to know Christ, and immediately she invites the missionaries to go ahead and live in her home, and she opens up her home as a new church plant, right? There's lots of examples in the Bible of wealthy people who use their wealth in ways that stored up eternal treasures. Let me read you a fantastic verse out of Luke 12. Luke 12, 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy and provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. 
Do you hear what that passage is telling you to do? It's, it's telling you that when you give, when, when, when you give to the needy, when you give to those who, who have not, it's saying you, you actually store up a kingdom asset. You store up a kingdom reward. I've talked to people that don't like that. They, they don't like for preachers to say those sorts of things because they say, well, man, that, that just sounds selfish. It sounds selfish for me to, to be like, well, I'm, I'm going to give to the kingdom. I'm going to advance the kingdom. I'm going I'm to give to the Lord. And, and man, I trust that there's going to be a reward for that. Let, let me tell you where that goes wrong, okay? If, if, if you're saying, well, I'm going to give God some money, hoping that he'll give me more back, okay? That's all washed up, okay? If you learned that on TBN, I'm sorry, Okay? Because that, that's wrong. That is wrong. Okay, that, that whole idea that I'm going to give God $100 and he'll give me back 1000 Man, I, you just don't find that in the scriptures, guys. And you know what's really wrong about that? What's wrong about that is what's the treasure? Okay, if, if, if you're doing that, if you're giving money in order to get more money back, what's your treasure? Is Jesus your treasure? No, money's your treasure. Money's your God. You're just using Jesus to get more of your God. Okay? But if, if, if you're giving kingdom resources to advance the kingdom, trusting that God in, in, in the eternities will give you more of himself, what's your treasure? Jesus, right? You're trusting, I want more of Jesus in eternity. I want more joy and satisfaction in Christ. You know, it really comes down to this. Guys, what do you believe about happiness? What do you believe about happiness? For a lot of people, here's what they believe. Money equals happiness. Money equals importance. Money equals security. Money equals pleasure. Money equals satisfaction. I've only had one person here in Woodward just come out straight up and tell me that. And I so appreciated that person. Now, I disagree with them vehemently, okay? But, but But I really appreciate... I was sharing the gospel with them. It's how the conversation started. I was sharing the gospel, and they, they kind of stopped me and said, hey, here's what I believe. I believe it's about money. Life's about money. You make money, and, man, that's what makes you happy. And I said, man, I, I, I disagree with you. The Bible disagrees with you, but I'm, I'm really, I really appreciate somebody who will honestly tell me what their heart says. Because here's, here's the deal. I think a lot of people actually believe that. I think there's a lot of people in Woodward, Oklahoma, that believe that very thing. I think there's a lot of people in the world that believe that very thing. They would just never say it. They, they know not to say it. But I think their life shows that's what they're storing up. That's what they're treasuring up, okay? But the Bible is saying there's a different kind of treasure that actually leads to happiness. There's this fantastic gospel verse in 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8 9, it says this. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, right, he was, he is, right, he's in the heavens, he owns the universe, yet yet for your sake he became poor. What happened? Christ left the heavenlies, he impoverished himself, he was born in a barn, a, a barn in Bethlehem to teenage impoverished parents, he became poor. And then look at what the rest of the verse says. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, what kind of rich? I don't think he's talking about dollars and cents. I I think he's talking about life. I think he's talking about resurrection life. I think he's talking about forgiveness. I think he's talking about rich in transforming power, rich in future glory, rich in eternal inheritance. I think he's talking about 
Riches that really do bring happiness. All right, next. And it's almost 12, I know. So we'll go through these quick, okay? You don't believe me, but you just watch, all right? Next, okay? James warns against acquiring wealth sinfully. Okay, notice verse four. He says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you've kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. James is saying, be careful. You know what money can do to you? Money can so affect you that you're willing to hurt people to get it. You're willing to cheat people. You're willing to owe people and not pay what you owe in order to have more. You know what the opposite of that is? The opposite of that is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 where Paul is talking to a church and some of the people in the church have some business conflicts. And Paul says, don't you dare go to court over that. He said, you just need to work that out together. And he says, you know what? If you can't work it out, 1 Corinthians 6, 7. I said 4, I meant 6. 1 Corinthians 6, 7 says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? You know, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says it'd be, better, it'd be better to lose your money than it would to dishonor the church. See how different that is? James is condemning people that are like, you know what? If I can get by with not paying somebody, if I can get by with not paying a debt, if I can get by with robbing somebody of what, what I owe them, or, man, I'll do it in order to have more. But Jesus actually says, man, you, you, should, you, should be willing, you should be willing to lose out in order not to dishonor God. All right, finally. See, we're already on our last point. James warns against the pursuit of luxury. Man, this, this may be the most convicting verse in this passage. Verse 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. James condemns those who, instead of, instead of pouring out their life for the good of the kingdom, for God, an upward focus, and for others, an outward focus, they use all their, in, their resources. They use their time. They use their, their, their money. They use, they use what they have in order to indulge themselves. You remember what Jesus told us when he, when he invited us to come to him? He said, if anybody would come after me, what should he do? Deny himself, right? Take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow after me. Folks, that's, that's not indulging ourselves that's, that's using what we have for the kingdom. Now, you know what's tough about this? What's tough about this is what, is it, what does it mean to live in luxury? All right? Now, normally, how do we define that? We define luxury as compared to somebody else, right? So what, what are we all tempted to do here this morning? We're tempted to turn our TV. Do you, show to, you remember that show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? Is that even on anymore? I don't know. You know, and you have these people like on these, you know, Yachts are like cruise ships, you know, and it's theirs, you know, and and then and, and they just you know travel the world, you know, and and our tendencies would be like, yep, I hope they read the Book of James right there, you know, you lived your life in luxury, right? That's what we'll do, but you know what, you know what, our brothers and sisters in India will do, they'll read that and they'll be like, those guys in Woodward, Oklahoma, you know, that came over and visited us, and we saw what they were wearing, and we saw how they, they rented vehicles and drove into our village, and, and man, we saw, you know, how they had cell phones that we'd never seen before, and they told us about their church. They got two campuses, you know? I mean, they're like, man, I sure hope those Americans, they read that, right? Like, like we're just tempted just to compare ourselves to somebody else. 
Well, that's not very helpful, is it? So here's what we got to do. We have to examine our hearts, okay? I'll talk about that in a little more, but I want to give you some help with that, okay? And the help, I'm going to let somebody else do it, so that if, it's, if it's bad, I'll blame it on him, okay? So John Piper wrote an article about luxury, and he was like, what kind of questions should you ask yourself when thinking about, am I, am I living in luxury or am I living appropriately according to my culture? You know, and am I, am I spending, am I giving, am I, am, I, am I using my money wisely? I thought these were helpful, so I'm going to read them to you, okay? Here's the questions he says you ought to ask. Number one, is it good for my soul? So the thing I'm buying, the, thing I'm, the, the way I'm living, is it good for my soul? Is it good for the soul of my family, okay? So let me give you an example of this one. Um, our family takes vacations. Um, we, they're important to us. We plan them out. Uh, we have taken a yearly uh, uh, a summer camping trip for the last, I don't know, since my kids were little. We had them in tents when they were babies. Like, come out of the womb, we're going camping, you know? Like, like we, we have believed in that, and, and that costs money, you know? It costs money to, to get in a car and drive somewhere up in the mountains and, and go camping, and, you know, I mean, it just does. And would we have to do that? No, we wouldn't have to do that. But here's what we've determined about our family. Because of my schedule, because I don't usually get weekends. I, I had a, I had a uh, wedding on, in Stillwater on Friday. I had a funeral here yesterday. I'll be busy all day today. We, we, don't, we don't have those, and some of you have a similar schedule. We, we found that, that for us to get away uh, with our family in extended times is really important for us. It's good for our soul. It's good for the, the, the health of our family, okay? So you need to figure out for yourself, okay, is what you're spending money on, is it good for your soul, is it good for your family? Number two, is it good for efficiency in life and ministry, all right? So things like a cell phone. You got one. I got one right here in my pocket. So I, it's so big, I can't hardly get it out or I'd pull it out. I'd pull my pants up to get it out, right? But you got one of those. Would we have to have a cell phone? No, we wouldn't have to have one. But I'll just tell you this. If I didn't have a cell phone, it would be harder for me to minister to you guys. Um, it, would be, it would be harder for us to do ministry. Uh, we do a lot on our cell phone. I I can, I can pull out my cell phone and I can open up the door for somebody at the homeless shelter right now. Isn't that amazing? You know, that's a pretty cool deal that I don't actually have to jump in my car and drive down there if somebody gets locked out of the room. I can actually open it up or I can lock it, you know. I can, I, we can actually look on our phones and see if somebody's there that's not supposed to be there and we can actually lock a door. That's, you know, I mean, there's some valuable things that can happen because of a cell phone. So, you know, you may decide, hey, that's, that's a needed experience, even though they're expensive, aren't they? Man, they're like the cost of a car, all right? Um, number three, are you buying this for the status of it? Oh, here's where Americans, we got to be really careful. Like, are, are, are we buying what we're buying because of the status of it? There's this interesting Instagram page that my buddy Nathan's been telling me about, and I finally looked at it this weekend because of this sermon. It's called uh, Preachers and Sneakers, and uh it's these pictures of these preachers who have these sneakers on, and then they, they go and they look them up and they see how much they cost. I, guys, I couldn't believe it. There's sneakers that cost $1,000, all right? Woo! Wow! Okay, and anyway, they're kind of, they're, they're condemning them, actually, is what they're doing. But, but why in the world would, you can, go, you can go anywhere and buy a pretty nice pair for, you know, 50, 70 bucks, you know, like nice, right? Why in the world would you, anyway, status, Okay. Next, will buying this hinder giving or good deeds? All right, here's where Americans got to be really careful. Because you know what Americans can do? 
we can do this thing called borrowing, all right? It's called credit. We have these cool little flashy cards, right? And, and man, you can run those things, and you can get overexcited and run them and run them and run them. And then all of a sudden, you know what you realize? You're making this much money, and your bills are right there. And then when you want to give, you can't give. When God calls you to give, you can't give. You know why? Because you've run that little deal so many times that it's hindered your giving. It's hindered your good deeds. And then the final thing he talks about is, is this an occasional, extraordinary, I love you? So what Piper would say, and again, this is not in the Bible. I'm talking about John Piper. That's why you can go out here and say that dude was wrong, okay? And I don't care. You can tell him he's wrong. I'm just trying to be helpful, right? But, but I, I, I kind of agree with him. I do think there is a time where I should buy my wife something nice, you know? I mean, her birthday could come around, and I could say, Honey, I saw that the broom handle broke, so I brought you a broom for your, for your birthday. Happy birthday, you know? That's incredibly practical, isn't it? Like, we need a broom, you know? And, and, and man, I'll just say, Honey, you know, I'd have bought something else, but the Bible says don't live in luxury, you know? So here's your broom, you know? I put a little duct tape around the handle just for you, you know? I, I could do that. But if I have the money, and if I don't have to go into debt, maybe I ought to try a little harder and buy her something nicer that says I love you, right? So those were, those were John Piper's exhortations, okay? Now, here, here's the deal with all this. Where's the line between wise saving and storing up earthly treasures? Where's the line between being prepared for the future and hoarding? Where's the line, okay? Here, here's the thing. I can't answer that for you. Okay, and the only way you can answer it is if you're willing to do three things, okay? Number one, you're willing to genuinely ask the Holy Spirit and obey him, okay? Number two, you, you are willing to have a heart that genuinely says, Jesus, I want to please you. Did you hear that? Jesus, I want to please you. And then number three, you're willing to say, Jesus, I believe what you said in here about storing up earth, heavenly treasures, and I, I want to do that. I, I want to have treasure in heaven. I, I, I want to advance the kingdom. I want to do great things for the kingdom of God. Now, guys, if you're willing to do those things, Holy Spirit, I'm listening and I'll obey. I really want to please the Lord and I really want treasure in heaven. I believe God will show you where that line is. Because here's the thing. It, it's not the same for everybody. So th these are great discussions to have in small groups. But you know, you know what tends to happen sometimes? People get cranky with each other, right? Because someone says, well, here's where I draw the line. I only buy pants from Atwoods that cost $3, you know? And then somebody else is looking. They got their Levi's on. And then they feel like, oh, I hate that guy. I ain't coming to this small group no more. He talked that way about my Levi's, you know, right? And we got to be careful that because the line's not the same for everybody. Let me give you an example. Let's say you got a guy that owns an oil field business in Woodward, Oklahoma, and you got a public school teacher. Should those two people have the same amount in savings? First of all, I don't know how much they should have in savings, but should they have the same amount? Is there a line for both of us? I would say no. I, I would say the guy that owns the oil field company, he should have more savings. You know why? Because what do we all know about the oil field? Up and down, up and down, right? And when it goes down, if you don't have savings, what happens? You don't have a business. And all the people that were working for you, they're out of jobs. And so not everybody has the same line, okay? But if you're willing to listen to the Holy Spirit 
if you're willing to please the Lord, to want to please the Lord, and then you really want spiritual treasure, I believe God will show you how to use your money in ways that make a kingdom difference forever. I want to finish by reading you a really encouraging verse about money, okay? It's Hebrews 13. It's verse 5 and 6. It says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Okay, now here's the beautiful part. Are you ready? For, listen, ready? For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Why, why, can, you, why can you be content with what you have? Why can you be free from the love of money? Because God has said to you, believer, I will not leave you or forsake you. Now look at the next verse. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. You, you know why we can be a people who don't stress out about money? You know why we can be a people that don't have to hoard it up? You know, if, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that, that the Lord is your helper, if you don't believe that he'll never leave or forsake you, you know what happens? You gotta have a lot of money. Like literally, you, got, you can't be comfortable unless you have a lot of money. You can't be comfortable unless your savings is full. You can't be comfortable unless you got everything. You can't be comfortable, why? Because you're afraid, right? But if you're willing to say, the Lord will not leave me. He's my helper. He will not let me down. You can be free from the love of money. And you can be ready to use it however God wants you to use it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for your gracious provision to us. God, we, we praise you, God, for, for being someone, being our God who, who became poor, that we might become rich. Thank you, Father, for your riches of grace and salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. And God, help us to leave this place today listening to your Holy Spirit, ready to obey in whatever you would call us to do. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.